Welcome to the What's Your Weird Story podcast. Everyone has at least one good story. And some of us have stories that are just to the left of normal. We're interested in the ones that push the boundaries of what we can perceive. Stories that defy explanations. Stories with an air of mystery. Stories we might not share. For fear of being thought of differently. But don't worry. We're all friends here. So, what's What's your weird story? story? Hello, Weirdsville. Welcome to the What's Your Weird Story podcast. I hope you're doing well getting geared up for the holiday season. I am so happy to be with you. I'm happy that you've decided to spend some time with us. And by us, I mean myself, Barry Johnston, and my co-host, Mr. Adam Beebe. How are you, Adam? I am doing well. Thank you very much, Smiling Sensei. I'm Uh, I'm trying. This is pre-coffee. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to bring it up. I'm like, I'm very uh, pleased with your the amount of energy you've been able to manifest pre-coffee this morning as yeah. we uh, you had to get up early uh, to make sure we got this all uh, wrapped up in a nice bow for you, uh, our friendly listeners out there in Weirdsville. Also, probably, if you hadn't noticed, my voice is a little bit deeper. Uh, to me, it sounds deeper. It's a morning voice. Yes, It's yes. a sexy voice. So, ladies... <laughs> Uh, if you did wake up in the morning, th- uh, this is what you'd hear right next to you uh, in, uh, you know, boudoir. <laughs> the, uh, the chambers of love. The, uh, <laughs> I always say Barry White's easier to get in the morning for sure with the voice, man. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, yeah, trying to... Uh, Trying to do that, trying to uh, overcome no caffeine at the moment. I've got some brewing right now, but uh, super excited about the show today. Oh, um, indeed. There's so much. I mean, this is a this is a way different topic than we've ever had. So, uh, but mm-hmm. before that, anything interesting or exceptional going on in your world right now? Not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, good. Did, have you got all your shopping done for Christmas? Oh yeah, dude. I'm I'm an early shopper. I shop year round, basically. I, in fact, like. So I'm a big fan of. I, I mean, I've as I stated here on on, on the podcast, uh, I love Christmas, and I, you know, I used to love, uh, you know, getting the presents, and now I love getting giving the presents, and um, you know, I I, uh, I I consider myself a a thoughtful uh, giver, but I just see cool stuff that I think, oh, this person will like that, you know. Yeah. Um, or I do. I also do silly stuff as well, um, you know, just as as for fun, uh, along with, you know, like uh, uh, things. But there, even though that the silly stuff is generally, in, in its own way, a little thoughtful. Like you know, I know that you know, like uh, you know, I, I I would like if my my sister. I knew like if I knew that she, I knew that she liked new kids on the block. And if I found like a old cassette tape or something, I would maybe. Uh, buy it for her, or yeah. uh, or uh, our special correspondent, resident Bigfoot expert, and voice of the listener, Jeff Hubbard, Esquire. 
uh, was very passionate about the original uh, Beverly Hills 90210. Saw every episode. Wow. Wow. Never missed one. He never and uh, I found a, uh, a, a, a I found a, a paperback book one time that was um, it was a nine hundred two one zero base, but I also think it was like a choose your own adventure book. Okay, <laughs> that right? sounds interesting. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. Smash that. But I, and and you know, again, it's early in the morning, and I haven't had all my coffee yet, so <laughs> maybe I'm still dreaming. But there was something like that that I found for him and forgot. I I bought it, and I you know, but I I, I buy things year round, so sometimes I buy things and forget where I put them. That yeah yeah. And oh, that's that's, that's a mom move right there yeah, for sure, yeah. dude. You know, you know I, I, I'm both mom and dad to my cats. Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's that's that's funny, man. Yeah, that happened. I remember, I remember there was a Christmas where my mom went, and uh, after we had finished opening all of our presents, she goes back into her closet to get something, and she finds presents that she had forgotten from the year before (laughs) and so we got we got our presents from some of our presents from the year before which is hilarious but uh anyway yeah everything's good um you know wanted to wish my daughter even though we're a little bit after the fact uh, she she turned 24 which is uh, mind-blowing and uh, we'll be having her birthday Christmas or a birthday Christmas birthday birthday party tonight, um, <laughs> celebrating her. So uh, happy birthday to Kira! And uh, this is a busy time of year for everyone I know. But when you oh, have yeah. when you have people in your lives that also have have uh, birthdays at Christmas, mm-hmm. around Christmas, it just makes it a little bit more hectic, you know. Mm-hmm. Which, which we love, we embrace. Yeah. So. Um, but yeah, man. So speaking of crazy, weird stories that you know you just can't really wrap your head around. Today's story, I think, is going to be one that's going to blow some most people away. It blew me away. Yes, and we definitely want to go ahead and throw out some trigger warnings um, for um, uh, human trafficking, for. Uh, Child abuse, yeah, uh, for um, um, you know that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, so if you if you if you're um, if you're triggered by anything like that, um, uh, then you definitely would you know want to probably consider skipping this episode. Um, but for the rest of you, our guest today is Amanda and uh, Amanda has one of the she's uh, at this point in time one of the most unique stories we've ever we've had here for sure on the what's your weird story podcast and we were just uh, uh, blown away that uh, she shared this with us and shared time with us um, so Amanda thank you for joining us what's your weird story well I've got a big one for you So my weird story is that in 2016, I was married to a man. We had three kids together. I was a stay-at-home mom. And one day he didn't come home from work. Oh. And I didn't know where he was. I, he worked long hours and I eventually went to bed and two o'clock in the morning, the hospitals didn't have him. There was no Jane, you know, John Doe's or anything of the sort. And at five o'clock in the morning, I called non-emergency dispatch and they transferred me to the jail. And they said, call us back if he's not there. And I was like, okay, I'll call you right back. Turns out 
my husband at the time had been arrested for attempted human trafficking and had a $250,000 bond. Oh my gosh. Okay. Now. Okay. So in a uncanny uh, sense of timing, uh, right after Amanda dropped that bombshell, uh, we we lost connection as sometimes uh, things happen here technically in the podcast world, but we were able to get her back. But I mean, uh, she dropped a bomb and then it and then and it cleared the area, and uh, we were left looking around only to see our own fool faces, mouth agape. And uh, but fortunately, we were able to get Amanda back. So let's jump back into this post uh, most amazing cliffhanger ever. When last we spoke, Amanda <laughs> just revealed the most, just left us on the most amazing cliffhanger. So, Amanda, back over to you because right, we're going to pick up our jaws from the floor. Okay. As you carry. Are we going to? Are we going to pick up where we left off? Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Right where okay. you are. Okay. So, like I was saying, I was a stay-at-home mom and three kids. Husband doesn't come home. I found him in jail, arrested for attempted human trafficking with a $250,000 bond. And I could have not been more shocked to hear that coming off the other end of the phone. And I thought perhaps there was a mistake. Did somebody steal his wallet? Is he dead in a ditch somewhere? That's where my mind went. Sure. It made zero sense. Um, You know, we were comfortable. We were you know, I thought we weren't the most connected, but I thought we were happy. I thought we had three young kids. Like, we didn't spend as much time together as we would have liked. But realistically, I thought things were really good enough, if not pretty good. I was grateful that his job allowed me to stay home full time with the kids. Um, you know, and so I was completely flabbergasted. I didn't even know what the charge meant. I had to Google it because right. I thought at first I thought it meant like shipping containers. And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. what? Yeah. Right, that's where, huh? <laughs> and later I learned that trafficking is more broad than that. And if you are buying and selling people for any purpose, it's considered trafficking, especially yeah. children. And so what had happened is he had gotten caught in a sting operation to meet an 11 and 14 year old for sex. Oh, oh no. Oh, no. Yes. Well, so he, that, so, he would, yeah, yeah the, the human trafficking thing because it is such a broad thing yes. could mean anything from you've taken a person from one part of town to the other. You know what I mean? I mean, I just, just, or, yes. or this situation. So anyway, it's, it's really about buying and selling people. Yeah. Essentially. Right. Oh my and gosh. So, That's a serious allegation. It's a serious allegation, very big deal, obviously, and I didn't really even find out the details until two days later in his bond hearing because, you know, it, it made zero sense. And all I I went, okay, I got to get a lawyer. I got to figure this out. I got to help him yeah. because there's some mistake. There's something wrong. So I went to find a lawyer. I found somebody to, who could even show up at the bond hearing right away. Um, and my instinct was to protect my family and that included him mm-hmm. and to help in whatever way I could and to make sense of all this. Sure. As I think most of us would be immediately, that would be our response. Most people. Sure. Yeah. You, you know, especially if you have a fairly good relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what I did. And I showed up in the, in the bond hearing and that's where I learned it was a sting operation and wow. still didn't make any sense. 
And there was more than him arrested for this. It was a whole a whole thing. It was joint with Homeland Security and were federal wow. agents everywhere. It was a whole operation. Wow. And so I I learned that in that in that hearing that there was I think there was probably four or five men arrested then. And all with the same charge. One of them had crossed borders even and that he was in much bigger trouble because he crossed yeah. state lines wow. to do this. And so what I what ended up once once we got through the bond hearing, I ended up bailing him out because that's what you do when you're trying to, you know, help your person. And I bailed him out of jail. And that's when we actually could have a conversation that wasn't recorded by jail operations. Right. And what I discovered or what he admitted to, at least, is he had been seeing escorts our entire marriage, our oh, entire relationship. Man. And had been reaching out to essentially meet these people. And that when they offered children, his story was that he didn't believe it was real. But because he was, you know, doing things he wasn't supposed to be doing anyway, he was too scared to report it unless it really was real. And then he was absolutely going to report it. Yes, that was his story. And that's what <laughs> I you, can see I the mean, look on your face. Out, out of, like, out of... Um all possible stories, you know, to, uh, if you're going to be caught with your pants down on, yeah, you want to try and dig out some kind of noble act out of it, you know. And admit to a horrible thing, but not, you know, not necessarily the, the unforgivable, so to speak. Yes. And because of where I was and my current beliefs, I really, really wanted to believe his story. Mm-hmm. I really, really wanted to believe there was no way he would have any interest in children. And it was a hard pill to swallow already that he was admitting to basically cheating on me the whole time. Sure. Right. But I was also going, well, he's in trouble for a hell of a lot more than that. And that mm-hmm. doesn't seem right if that's all he was doing. And so it put me in a really interesting place because I also had a lot of trauma from my dad leaving when I was a kid and not wanting my kids to be raised without their father. Sure. Yeah. And so it it meant it meant that I it meant that I stayed in my marriage. It meant that I chose to believe him. I chose to support him. I chose to say, okay, I don't know how we're going to get through this. I don't know how I can possibly forgive you, but I'm going to try. Yeah. I'm going to try to figure out what this looks like. But first, we have to get through this mountain of a criminal case. Yeah. And so that's what we did. And while he was on bond, I was full-time home with the kids, and he wasn't allowed near the children of any kind. So I was all of a sudden a single mom with a one-year-old, a four-year-old, and a just-turned-six-year-old. Wow. And, you know, so there was all of that. There was also the hearing and the lawyers and the trial, and he wasn't allowed any contact with the children for a period of time, which was hard on them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden their daddy disappears. Yeah. Um, eventually we got supervised visitation awarded to the kids so that they could see him through with an evaluator kind of person there, which helped kind of, mm. because then there's the, why are you leaving? Why can't you stay? Right. Question, yeah. you know, a four-year-old doesn't understand. Yeah. So I was dealing with all of that and also really terrified to end up alone, really terrified that things could go get worse. And also, you know, this was now public information. The right. papers uh, yeah. had this. Yeah. Everybody in town knew. Uh, and so when the first article came out in the paper, it felt like somebody was painting a big A on my door. Sure. Right. It, that's how I felt. I didn't feel safe in my home anymore. And I isolated myself a lot. 
Yeah. And so what ended up, what that meant is the only safe person to talk to was my husband, the one who caused all of this. Mm. The only person that I could, who could understand what I was going through was mm. that person. Mm. And so it really messed with my, my mind and my, what I was, you know, it created this kind of bubble. It was just yeah. me and him and the kids and we were going to figure this out. And in the safety of the bubble, you know, it was us against the world. Mm. And that's where we kind of had these daydreams. Like we would just go live somewhere and homeschool the kids and never have to deal with society again. Yeah. And obviously that's not how the world works. <laughs> sure. Um, so you didn't have any, fa no family around or anything? No, his family was there, but they were not very present. You know, they could, they would help me watch the kids uh, an hour or two here and there, mm. but mm. not what I needed. My family was not with anywhere nearby. And any other friends or my family, all I could feel was judgment from them. Oh, yeah. Right. All I could, because it was a constant, you know, you don't have to stay. You know, you can go. And it was like, well, how dare you? Right. How dare you imply that I I leave or I abandon him in this situation? How dare you? you know, my, my own mother, in fact, tried to convince me to move closer to my sister so that I could have some help. And I said, well, I'm not going to take my kid's dad away like you took mine away. Mm. So mm -hmm. I, you know, I went there. Right. Right. Well, that's tough. I mean, that that is tough. No, no, no. Nobody can judge anybody for for reacting the in the way that they act because these things are unprecedented. I mean, you just this isn't a normal situation. No, not at all. And you know, I was financially dependent on him. You know, we had we had money, but I hadn't worked myself in six years. I didn't see how I could support sure. three kids on my sure. own. I didn't. None of this yeah. I wanted to do on my own. It was just kind of like, okay, we got to get through this. And so as we were going through the criminal trial and all of that, um, he was being evaluated for various things. And the idea was to eventually try to get a plea deal. That was the idea. And so he was offered a plea deal that was only probation. A privileged white man tries to meet an 11, 14-year-old for sex, and he gets four years of probation. Wow. wow. So... It's a whole nother oh, conversation man. there. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Um, he was offered only probation, which at the time was like, well, of course he's going to take that. Um, I really wanted him to fight the charge because if supposedly you were innocent and supposedly right. you had all these things, why won't you fight it? And his lawyers were like, yeah, no, they have way too much. There's no way you would go to jail. And I was like, what? But I didn't want to live with... That being, you know, he was, he will be a felon. He will be on the sex offender registry. I didn't, yep. I didn't want any of that. Yep. I was yeah. like, I don't know that I can do that. And, but from his point of view, right, he was being offered probation. He was being offered another chance in a sense. Yeah. So he took, he took the plea deal. And when he took the plea deal, there was also a state of Colorado Supreme Court case that had changed the statute, which meant there, he was actually going to be allowed to have access to his own children again. And so the Supreme Court ruled your constitutional right to parent does not get removed unless they're your basically direct, the, the you know, the, per, the victim themselves. Yeah. Okay. And so on probation, he wasn't allowed any around any other children or any schools or anything like that, but he was allowed to move back home. So at the time, I was grateful. At the time, it was like, okay, we can figure this out. He can't go to the school, but that's okay, right? He can be home. You know, my, my little one was almost two at the time. Mm -hmm. Figure it out. So he moves back home, and 
I realized I have to go back to work. I hadn't worked in six years. He lost his job. There was no, nobody was hiring IT security from a felon. Yeah. That wasn't going to happen anymore. And it was like, I knew I wasn't going to be able to make the money he had made, but the gap was just going to get bigger if I didn't go back to work. Right. So I started looking for a job and I found one pretty quickly that met, well, basically what I had used to do. I was an IT myself, just in a different capacity. Mm -hmm. So I found one and I applied and all of a sudden I was going back to work. It was like, oh my God. Okay. I hadn't worked in so long, but we can figure this out and I can figure out how to get the kids where they need to be. And, you know, and also have this job. But what ended up happening as I was working was now all of a sudden I was leaving the bubble. I was leaving this bubble I had created of safety with my husband and my kids and all the things. And I was stepping outside of it. And I was terrified that anybody was going to find out Mm. what had happened a year ago at that point, what, what my, my last name was. And they were going to remember the article they read in the paper, or they were going to know somebody who knew him or I wouldn't say his name. They knew I had husband and kids, but they knew nothing else. Mm. Like I hid my home life from everybody. Mm. I wouldn't talk about it. I wouldn't talk about my weekends. I wouldn't talk about anything. Yeah. But I was having a good time at work. I was enjoying being back at work. I was enjoying being more than mom and wife. Um, You know, the company Christmas party sent me into a panic attack because people would expect my husband to come. Mm, Right. (laughs) Can't do that. Right. (laughs) You know, and so it was like my two worlds could not, not, couldn't collide, couldn't, you know, and I started to have this realization that I didn't actually really want to be with my husband anymore. I couldn't really deal with the fact that he'd cheated on me. Because at the time he was admitting to over 50 times later, that number doubled. Oh, oh my gosh. Um, wow. You know, and I, I couldn't do it. I couldn't. I, he kept saying, I'm, I'm changed. This is in the rock bottom. I'm going to be different. And all of the love bombing was thrown mm-hmm. at me, all of that. Mm. And I, it was like every time he would look at me and want to be intimate, all I could see was all of the other people oh, that sure. he'd been right. with. It was like they were ghosts in the room with us. Sure. And I couldn't do it. I could, and I would come home from work, and I would need to drink half a bottle of wine to even look at him. Mm. And uh, obviously, yeah. that's not really. Not so I went, okay, yeah. this isn't healthy. I can't do this. And the other thing is, I found myself attracted to a coworker mm. because you know I was looking for a way out, right. really, in a sense. Sure. And and I was like, what am I doing? Like my kids have been through so much. What am I doing? I'm going to, I took all of this burden that I was causing this problem and I was stepping outside. Right. So this was all my fault now. And I decided that because I knew what it was like to be cheated on, I wasn't going to do that. I wasn't going to lie. I wasn't going to, I was going to tell the truth. I was going to say, I can't do this anymore. I didn't want to separate and I'm interested in somebody else. And I did. I told, I told my husband I'm done. I can't. And he pulled all of my, don't do this to the kids. Let's just be weird, normal. And you can go date and I'll still live here and we'll figure it out. Wow. I mean, like Mm. I wanted him to move out. I thought he was going to, but then it was, no, no, no. I don't want to, you know, we don't want to do that to the kids. Mm. And again, pulling at my mom guilt and all of that. Nobody (sighs) wants to share custody with their kids. That's not fun. Right. So I agreed and I started dating and started having fun again, honestly, started being more than a mom and a wife and started going, you know, camping and music shows. And, you know, that was really good for my mental health. It was really good to be something else to somebody else and to, you know, be Mm -hmm. with somebody who didn't have all of these ghosts in the closets and all of this stuff. And sure. 
so that was, that was a nice time. But then later after a few months went by, I got promoted and I was now going to be my boyfriend's boss, which was a no, no. Okay. So I had to decide what I was going to do about that. And I made the decision that I needed to break up with him. And I really needed to figure out what the hell I was going to do with my marriage. Right. I needed to focus on my career. I needed to focus on my kids because things had gotten weirder and weirder at home. Right. I was dating a coworker while I was married to a sex offender who was living in my house with kids. Like it was, it was a mess. Can I ask, kind of- and you don't have to answer this, but I must ask because I know that there's people out there that want to know. How was the boyfriend? Was he okay with the situation? Did you enlighten him on the situation? Oh yeah, he knew. Okay, he knew everything. All right. Okay, he knew all of the details. Okay. Um, he was okay. He had just gotten. He had just left a relationship. You know, he was a few years older than I was, and was kind of like, "I'll have some fun. It's sure. fine." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He yeah, wasn't. He wasn't. He knew they met. Okay. We had dinner together. Okay. I mean, okay. we went full weird with it. Sure, sure. No, I, I'm just curious. I mean, consenting <sighs> adults. Hey, man. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. Oh, yeah, totally. And, you know, we had this idea that if we act normal around the kids, it's not going to be weird for them. Sure. And on some level, they were mostly okay. But obviously, there was a lot of confusion on what was really going on right. that mm-hmm. nobody wanted to look at. Nobody wanted to admit to. Yeah. Yeah. So I broke up with him. He wasn't happy about that. But... At the same time, he understood I needed to focus. I needed to get things back in order. Yeah. Like this, things were messy. Yeah. My, I was feeling distant from my kids. I was feeling like things were not going very well. And so my husband took that as, oh, we're going to get back together. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. That's oh, not what's boy. happening. I still don't want to look at you. I still don't like you very much. Um, and I don't know what to do about this when it comes to the kids we have together, but uh, no. <laughs> and what, in a, what then happened is after I, after I basically rejected him, he decided he was going to file for divorce and he was going to try to kick me out of the house. And he was going to claim that he was the primary parent and that I should move out and I should pay him child support oh and I should do all of this. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> yes. What a mess. Yes, he did. And I was like, I hope that, I hope that that backfires just fantastically on him. But, uh, but go ahead. <laughs> Yes. So that was his, that was his game plan. And I, um, event. So we, we spent like six weeks waiting for the temporary orders hearing because I was like, excuse me, I'm not doing that. How, who the hell do you think you are? And then temporary orders, the judge had said, no, you need to move out. We actually had already bought him a house. Like he was just trying to pull, we'd already bought another house that he was going to move into Mm. and he just refused. He didn't want to. And he agreed to move out. And I was trying to basically say, there's more going on here than I really understand. And I'm not feeling very safe in my house anymore. Mm. Obviously, he has this history. I don't really know what's under the surface. And so I, my lawyers were saying, let's go very conservative. Let's not, let's ask he have no overnights and all of that. But in the state of Colorado, again, unless I could prove my, my direct kids were in danger, there was no precedent that could take away any time. And so he, in the temporary orders hearing, was awarded 50-50. And in the, in the slew of all of that, it was actually a schedule that made the kids go back and forth four times a week, which is insanity. Wow. Yes. It's insanity. And so, but my lawyer was basically saying, the judge is just saying she doesn't have enough doesn't mean it's not possible. She just today doesn't have enough in with what we've provided. And so 
we kind of need to, we need to set on this, this journey to figure out what that will be. And so four times a week, back and forth, total chaos. And what I really started to see at that point was how bad his mental health was, how difficult he was doing, he was struggling, how much, as soon as I stopped supporting him, I was the bad guy and how much of an attack mm-hmm. he was coming. He started to alienate the kids against me. I was the one who caused this. Mm. I was the one who left them. Wow. Mommy won't forgive daddy. And that's why we can't live together. Ugh. And I'm lonely when you guys aren't here. And just, this is like nar- narcissistic behavior. Completely. Right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I saw it for what it was, but at the same time, he was playing this false equivalence game where anything I did was just as bad or worse than everything he's done. Mm. And, you know, he would talk to you like he knew something you didn't and and he would he would get you and he just he made you feel crazy. You know, it was a gaslighting Ah. all levels. Yeah, yeah. And so you know, I was going through all of that and going, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to ask for. None of this feels good. I hate all of this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and when you go through a divorce, they make you go to mediation. That's the first step. And so the mediator tried to get us to settle all the things. And I was like, I don't, I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know what I want. I don't even know what's right. Yeah. He was at that point, he was actually trying to get me to drop the divorce because he was really just using it to try to manipulate me. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to get back together and he wanted me to throw it all out. And I was like, you fucking filed. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which the mediator said, every time you point that out, he thinks that you're mad at him for filing and that he's got a way to get back in. And I was like, no, that's not what's happening. I'm just pointing out, excuse me, mister. I'm just pointing out that, you know, he started this in a sense. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Dog. Oh, good. Dog All right. I've got him. Yeah. And so the, we ended up not settling custody in the mediation because at the end of the day, I said, I really don't know what's here. And I feel like we need more information. And we ended up hiring a parental rights evaluator is what this, every state has their version of it. Okay. But in Colorado, you basically hire a third party to mm-hmm. interview everybody, to do psych evaluations, to do all of that, and then make a determination to the court. And so it was really a way to get out of mediation for that conversation is really what it was at the time. It was, let's, let's ask for more information. And what we were able to settle finances, which was good, because I also was realizing that I was going to need to move because the house we had bought for him was literally next door. Because again, oh, you remember we had, we had thought we were going to be weird normal and it was just going to be yes. good for the kids that we were so close. Right. Um, and so I got out of mediation and things just started to get worse and worse. The kids behavior towards me was starting to get volatile, right. even violent at times. They didn't want to go come over to my house anymore because daddy's house is more fun. And he lets us play video games all the time. And he tells us all these things mm. and mommy holds boundaries and we don't like that. And so it, it got really, really difficult. And I just, kept funneling as much as I could through this evaluator that we were getting. We both had full psych evaluations. So I'm, I'm normal. Um, (laughs) according to this psychologist, you know, I've made some not as awesome decisions like, you know, dating while married and making things confusing for my kids. But that's really the only thing I was sort of, maybe you should think about that again, another, you know, differently kind of thing. Um, and he was diagnosed with multiple personality disorders and major depression and anxiety. Mm. And 
that's a so, uh, that's a cocktail right there. Yeah, yeah. And the big one for him was a dependent personality disorder, and that's when you become dependent on others to meet your emotional needs. And what was happening is he was becoming dependent on the children to meet his emotional right. needs, mm, right? Because he lost me as that source, and the hyperfixation on me was really, really there, and the, the addictive behavior was there. And you know, he would he would try to do nice things that were always boundary pushing. You know, show up at my mm-hmm. house unexpected to bring me something excuse mm. me, you're not welcome here. Yeah. Well, but I'm just being nice. Mm, no. Yeah. And so after, after all of that's going down, I'm really going, I don't know what's, I don't know what's under the surface here. Something is not awesome here. Something is really not safe. It didn't feel good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I started to feel like I was being watched. Mm. I started to feel like he was still hyper fixating on me and wanting to get back together with me. Because he was so close, he was like walking up and down the street sometimes. I put cameras up because I was in full paranoia mode about him being in my house. Oh, boy. I, you know, don't talk about dating because that would be not a good idea. Yeah. Um, and then I realized, of course, I needed to move. I needed to not be so close. Yeah. I had actual, I had mental health people tell me that, you know, he's going to be peeking in your windows. Like they could tell yeah. the, the level of obsession that he had. And so I, I found a house, moved across town, and right before I moved, we actually had the worst transition we ever had. It took like the kids maybe an hour or more to come over to my house. Every time they'd come over, they'd run back over and run away and hide and be violent towards me. Mm. And you know, he ended up recording the whole event, and it was it was beautiful when people are called out because the evaluator could see how much he had caused this situation. Yeah. Mm. You know, he was encouraging their behavior in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, and so, you know, it was clear, good, need to move, do that. And I moved away, but, you know, and then the evaluation came out. And again, because of the state of Colorado is such a 50, 50 state, it was still recommended that he basically get 50, 50 with some allowances for his, with, for his, you know, he couldn't go do certain activities, but they were going to say that I should have slightly more decision-making when it came to mental health, extracurriculars and school Mm -hmm. stuff. But other than that, it was basically a 50-50 recommendation. Mm. And we actually went, okay, I don't know how to do this. It still doesn't feel right, but this is what the court says. It's what people say. Let's try. And we tried to settle. Now, again, his mental health was so bad that he actually ignored our settlement offer for over a month. And during that month, um, my children started to act even worse, but this time my middle child had actually turned into more of a sexual nature. He started to, I'm going to say almost come on to me in a way. And he was seven at the time. And I was like, what the hell is going on with my kid? Mm. Something is going on in that house and it's not okay. And I started to feel like there was grooming behavior going on and that it was Mm -hmm. the dependent disorder was escalating in a sense. And so we pulled the settlement offer and we said, we're going to court. And we got the evaluator back involved, and then the bottom dropped out again. Now, this um, trigger warning for all the listeners here. My son, my seven-year-old son, says as I'm pulling up to the school to let them out to go to school, sometimes I suck on daddy's fingers. Oh, no. Yeah. And talk about the, you know, the look on your face is basically what the look on my face was. Yeah. And you can't, you can't react. You can't be like, you can't make them feel wrong. You can't make them feel Mm -hmm. bad or they'll never, you'll never get any more. So I let them, I I sent them off to school. What the fuck am I going to do about that? Yeah. Called, called his therapist, called my lawyers. 
um, when you're in the middle of a custody battle, you have to be very, very careful about making additional accusations. You can't, because the court really does look for alienating behavior. And even though he was the one doing that, I couldn't then be reciprocating and be seen as though I was making false accusations. Right. God. Oh, man. Yep. And so I... The therapist said, have him show you, have him show you what he means, because then you'll have more information. And so a couple weeks later, it came up again and I asked him to show me and it is as bad as you expect. So she said, if that's what happens, you need to call Child Protective Services. If he had shown me that I would, as a mandatory reporter, would have reported it. So that, that was enough for my lawyers to say, you can go ahead and call without, you know, being you're not making a bigger deal out of it. Somebody said that this needs to be reported so you can report it. I called Child Protective Services, made the report. They came and interviewed my child, but the the case manager was so aggressive with my seven-year-old, he was hiding under, under the table, scared to talk to him, oh, wouldn't, wouldn't say a word and said, no, we don't do that anymore. And oh. the case manager said, okay. Oh, man. Yep. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. Oh. Probation polygraphs him. But won't tell me what they asked because they polygraph. That's how they handle sex offenders. They just polygraph them. And I found out later that the questions they asked were really just full, just, you know, are you touching him? Which isn't what I was accusing him of, right? I was accusing him of grooming behavior. Yeah. So they, they didn't actually validate any of it. They didn't actually validate whether he was being aroused by the game that they were playing of any kind. They just asked if he, you know, went all the way, so to speak. And yeah. then they just took his polygraph is, nope, he's cleared all is well. Wow. So I'm in the middle of a nasty custody, nasty, nasty custody battle and my kid's clearly not okay. Oh my God. And it all of a sudden comes rearing ahead. Hey, remember the fact that he was arrested for trying to have sex with 11 and 14 year olds? Um, hello. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That, oh, hello. Yeah. How did I not see this? Yeah, yeah. How did I not understand? You know? And, you know, it had been through all of the reports that he wasn't, he wasn't just a heterosexual. He, he, he went both ways and which is not something I knew before all of these reports either. And so any belief that because I didn't have daughters, my boys were safe, wasn't true either. And my middle child was also very sensitive, very feminine, very, you know, perfect, perfect for predator in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And so I went, what the fuck am I going to do now? How am I going to get out of this? How my mental health is struggling. I'm basically, I'm being diagnosed with PTSD because every time I can't have a conversation with the man, I'm having panic attacks. My, the amount of fighting we're doing over, you know, me needing to take them to activities and him not wanting to lose parenting time and wanting to change schedules and me having to hold boundaries was insanity. And I really don't know what to do next. So my therapist at the time says, have you ever thought about seeing a psychic? And I was like, is that real? Are you kidding? Right. This is my regular mental health therapist. Uh And I'm like, "Um, no, I don't. Do you know anybody? Like, I didn't really know that she was serious. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I know somebody. And she's good. She's real. And I was like, okay, I'll try anything. Fuck it. Right. And at this point, I'm literally at the... any, right, child yeah. protective services won't help. Right. My lawyers can't seem to help. Yep. The evaluator yeah. can't help. Fine, fine. I'll go to this lady. So I go and I see the psychic, and I walk in the room, and it's you know all the the crystals and all the things everywhere, and I'm just like, okay, we're just to see what she says. Yeah. She sits me down, and 
she tells me, she reads this past life of mine where I was married to this man and things were okay-ish until we had kids. And then, you know, his drinking got bad and he started, he started being physically violent and, and he started trying to go after the kids and I got in the way and the way she was talking to me and the things that she said to me that I was scared to leave and I could, didn't think I could make it on my own. And, you know, I, at the time, you know, and, and 500 years ago, women couldn't own property and couldn't do things. But the way she was mm-hmm. speaking, it was like she was, she was talking to me over the last, you know, four years. Mm, and I right. was like, how, how did you know that's how I felt? How did you know that, that that's what was running through my head the whole time, essentially? And the way she was saying, you know, you were, things got worse because you were stepping in front and trying to protect the kids. And, and it was like, okay. And then in this life, he beat me to death in front of the children. And she said, my dying thoughts were what's going to happen to the kids. And as she said that I had just had the thought, well, what happened to the kids? And so I'm like, okay, right. lady, wow. okay, wow. you win. You're real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now what? Yeah. <laughs> right. Cause I had never had an experience like that before. Mm. And it was what the understanding I was having was that the fear I was holding of him, because he had never laid a hand on me in this life. And yes, he was gaslighting and yes, he was manipulative, but I was truly terrified of him. Right. The idea of him stalking me, you know, rang all of my alarm bells. And, you know, my mom would tell these stories about, you know, murder suicides. It's like, stop, mm. because that's where my head was. I was that right. afraid of him. Yeah. And I started to realize I was that afraid of him because I was holding on to fear that wasn't this life fear. It wasn't this moment fear because there had been a time where I I needed to be that physically afraid of him. Gosh. And I couldn't operate from fear anymore. I couldn't hold on to that fear and I couldn't be afraid of him if I was going to truly stand up and face him in court and, and say what I needed to say. And I also realized that, and what she said to me is there on some level, I was holding on to this hope, this possibility that he could get better. He could get help. He could heal that my kids could have a father in their life because of all of my own wounding. And on some level in the back of my head somewhere, I still wanted that to be a possibility. Mm -hmm. And so from an energetic standpoint, I was leaving more cards on the table, so to speak. Yeah. And I was letting even even his idea that we would get back together one day still linger out there somewhere, even though I really didn't want to see it. It was still lingering there. And she said, you have to you you're you're sitting here today because you need to choose. You have all of this support. And, you know, she was very much an angel reader and all of your angels are here and they want to help you. But you have to choose. They can't help if you don't choose. And I was like, I did choose. Of course, I'm done. She's like, no, 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 no. You must choose. And I went, okay, I see it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm not doing this again. I'm over it. How can I, how can you help me? She says, okay, good. <laughs> and then she says, you have way more help and there's way more options and way more things than you actually know. And you need to keep going. You need to recognize that there are people who want to help you, but you have to ask them. You have to go to them. You've been giving, I've been giving up my power in a lot of ways to the system. I've been saying, Mm -hmm. you guys figure it out. I don't know what to do. Lawyers help me. Evaluators help me. Tell me what to do rather than saying, he's not okay. This isn't safe. How are you going to help me become safe and get to the situation? Like I I had, I needed to flip it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the way, the way society is, the way we have things set up, it's, 
you know, it, it's 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 so easy to be like, I don't know, I'm in over my head, so yeah. you figure it out because you know you're that's your job. That's what you're supposed to do. And yes, and, and, exactly. And, and as we see, sometimes you know, those experts don't handle the things properly. They don't do the things. They don't see the no. way that they're that they don't see the truth as it is. They just see it how it's been presented to them. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And so I needed to stop giving any power to the experts. I needed to trust that I did always on some level. I knew the truth. I just didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. And I needed to ask more people for help and I needed to keep going. And she, you know, she was reading into his field and basically saying he has the, he's a very, very wounded person and he has no desire to get better. He has no desire to look at it. He doesn't you know, this is like from a lifetime after lifetime perspective, he's been so beaten down and so abused that he, until he's ready to come out of that, there's nothing, nothing anybody can do. Yeah. Yeah. He hasn't yeah. made the choice to get better and it doesn't look like he's going to. And so it was really a drop any of that and focus on getting out of there. Yeah. yeah. And so I left that session, of, honestly, a different person. Because it was like my resolve to be like, I went in there going, I've been doing everything and nothing's working to, okay, what else can I possibly do? Right. And I went back to work and I started talking to more people. I started telling people more about what was going on. I am starting to say, do you have ideas? Do you know people? And I found out that a coworker had an uncle who worked for ICE, who then put me in touch with Homeland Security, who then put me in touch with the arresting officer mm, wow. who spoke to me and then put me in touch with the local police department. And basically I got in touch with the people who had put handcuffs on him and who knew all of the details of his offense. I got them to reopen the um, case file with the child protective services and to try to interview my son again. That didn't actually work, but they were more than happy to continue to go down that place. Wow. Um, wow. And my realtor said, Hey, you should call the district attorney. The district attorney said, I can't really help you, but I can go ahead and unseal the case file for you. So you can actually read what happened. Oh, wow. Yep. So I got all of that. I got the text transcript between him and the undercover agent. And then there was no more question in my mind wow. because there was some really damning information that not everybody would have really known, but because I had been intimate with the man for you know, eight years, I knew all of, I knew, I knew the things. So I knew very clearly at that point that there was definitely some part of him that was in fact interested. Wow. I, what, um, what I did that, also, what, what did that do to you? Did it change any other parts of your perspective at that point? Or did it just confirm that what you were feeling was real? It, it confirmed it and it made me just de like de more determined. Yeah. It was like, you know, had I, had I seen that four years ago, what I have seen it, I don't know. Yeah. But the fact that I, I, I saw it when I saw it and it was confirmation and it was more proof. It right. was more fuel. If anything, it was it, exactly. It was more fuel yeah. for my fire and Good. it was more evidence and it was more yeah. things to funnel through the evaluator. I started recording my kids' conversations. I started recording the alienating behavior. I started recording the overly sexual behavior. I started reading them books about keeping their bodies safe yeah. and trying to empower them as well. And, you know, sharing when they stopped me and say, oh, it's okay if it's animated, right? Wow. 
I was able to get all of that information. I, my son told me that his dad was climbing into bed with him at night oh. and I was able to get that conversation recorded. Oh gosh. You know, I was, it, it provided me with this go and this stack of evidence. When I showed up in court, my court hearing was six weeks after that conversation with the psychic and my stack of evidence was a three inch full binder with multiple recordings, multiple pieces of evidence, just packed solid. And you know, the other side had a couple of pieces of paper stapled together. Are you allowed to bring up the previous stuff? Like I I know that there's, you can't be tried for the same thing twice, but can you bring that information into the court? Into family court? You can, you, I was able to bring the, the criminal case file into family court. Yes. Okay. We don't reopen. I mean, he pled guilty. So there's, it's, it's irrelevant from a criminal perspective. Gotcha. But I was actually able to bring it into the criminal. And and it wasn't so much to prove that he was a bad person, but it was really about showing my state of mind and why I was where I was and why I was advocating the way I was. Because it's about showing the court that I'm not trying to take the kids away from their dad. I'm trying to protect them. Of and this course. is right. This is why I believe what I believe. Sure. And that's that's how most of the evidence actually got in was to show my state of mind because all of it's hearsay. Even the things I recorded with my kids is considered hearsay, but we knew the judge would want to hear it. Sure. And we knew that we could use it as a way to basically explain where I'm coming from and why I am where the way I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, on February of 2020, I stood in front of court and we had the fight of our life essentially. And it was a whole full day and we interviewed the evaluator. We interviewed his probation officer and his therapist and, you know, basically discredited them because they were not holding him to probation standards or any of the things he was supposed to. And they didn't care. And I stood up in court and said my piece and showed the judge what my son said. And we played the recordings and all of the things. And the, she didn't make the ruling that day, but she did order him to not sleep with the children at that point. So we could, we could really tell that I had gotten to her, which was good. And then a few days later, March 3rd, the day before my birthday, which was the best, best birthday present I could have gotten. Um, I was, my divorce was finalized and the court put protections in place. He, they didn't immediately lose custody. He was awarded, basically he went from 50-50 to just a couple of afternoons a week, but he was given six weeks to comply with a huge set of things that he refused to because a lot of people with major mental health issues either can't or won't do what the court requires. And the judge basically said, you've been, all of the delaying and all of the refusal to comply has been harming the children. Here, I'm going to basically force your hand here. You're going to lose a ton of access to them. You have six weeks to comply if you want any physical custody. And if you don't, you will only get supervised visitation. And so those six weeks were the beginning of the pandemic, because as we know, March of 2020 changed the world. And I was beyond grateful for the timing. It meant my kids were not quarantined with him in any capacity. They spent a couple of afternoons a week for six weeks. And then we have never heard from him since then. Wow. Yeah. So he never did supervised visitation. He called on my kids' birthdays, which were in April. And then that's the last time we've heard from him. That's it. It just, the that fight was. Is a, it, well, it's amazing that it ended like that because that's not the story you often hear at nope. all. Nope. It's not. And I'm very, I mean, I'm sorry that all of that happened, but I'm extremely, you know, happy for you that 
it also, you know, just that it's ended, that it's over, it's done with. And I mean, you're able to, to talk about it and yeah. share this. And and I think yes. this is this is very really, you know, get a lot of people thinking and affect other people as well. And so thank you for, for doing this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's amazing. It, it's wow. That takes a lot of <laughs> it takes a lot of nerve and um and and fortitude to get through something like that that is a mountain to climb yeah and it it really was i i focused on safety and security for myself and the kids and i i had this i i had this mindset where if we don't succeed it just means i need more information there needs to be more data it's just not time yet and i and i will only fail if i stop trying i'm going to leave no stone unturned i'm going to no amount of money will stop me i don't care I, there's, we are doing this. That's the place I had to get to yeah. to succeed. I don't. It, this story does not surprise me as far as the way that this was handled by people that could have put an end to it. But right. it's sad that you know these things happen and these people are allowed to exist in a way in our society that there aren't. It's not an easier, there's not an easier way to deal with something like this. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, no, you know, I get it's it, every case is different and every case needs to be handled the way that it needs to be handled. And I think that these people are probably overworked. They've probably got mm-hmm. a ton on their plates. They're coming into situations and they're trying to make quick assessments of what's going on. Yeah, it's it's a job. And and, and, and and in a lot of ways, it's it's an impossible job because you have people mm-hmm. out there like this guy, who mm-hmm. are absolutely like deranged, and there's mm-hmm. no sense of reality. But if he's able to j- just hold it together enough to affect someone's decision making, he wins. And then you're well, and he was and he's he was very intelligent. Yeah, and I'm so sure. much so that he. He knew how to play the game. He, right. yeah. you know, he's highly intelligent, able to know exactly what was expected right. of him. Yeah. Do you know where he is now? I mean, um, um, I believe he's still in the same house that he moved into. Okay. He's on the sex offender registry. So, okay, gotcha. um, I mean, like I said, there's been not a single piece of contact, no phone call, no email, no, no child support of any kind. That's okay. I, I exactly, I don't care. It's fine. Yep. You, you stay away. It's fine with me. Right. Um, I took it at this point, it feels like the last, the final gift of peace that he could have given us. And I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm as hard as it is that my kids lost a father. I am so grateful for the peace and quiet and the ability for us to heal. Oh man, I can imagine. Yeah. But you know, here's the thing. They didn't lose a father. They they lost their sperm donor. You know, they did. They, they, he was not a father to them. He did not do, you know, he, at times he may have been fatherly, but he obviously, was not and he wasn't a good you know thing and it's unfortunate that sometimes that people you know that that happens in relationships and people but you know they've got they've got a hell of a mom and that's uh that's super impressive i mean they you know you're 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 a super woman you're a wonder woman (laughs) yeah you're all of that for sure i mean and a warrior and uh, i hope that you know when they're older that they uh, that they really learn to appreciate all that you've done uh, going to bat for them like that. Yeah. So, have you ever thought about writing a book? That is what I'm done. That's uh, why fan- I'm here. Well, I wrote a book. Fantastic. 
funny, funny, yeah, funny, funny. You should say coming out in January. Okay, great. January tenth. It's called the Sex Trafficker's Wife. Wow. I I literally wrote all of this and more because we've you know we've been having this conversation for an hour, but mm-hmm. you know this was four years of my life wow. and. Man. I wrote a book that my with the intention to share the story with the world. And, you know, I cite the articles and I give you the details of the criminal case file. And I put it all out there because I'm not the only one who's been through this. Sure. I'm just nobody else has ever shared the wife's story. We looked. Yep. You don't find it. There's so much shame oh, and yeah. so much. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, and. It's, you're you're a victim by extension, you know. I mean, like, by well, not level. even by extension, really. But you're 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 completely a victim because he perpetrated yes. these things towards yes. you. Yeah. So and I actually felt like his biggest victim, and and yeah. I know that's not not to, you know, negate all of the actual victims, but you know, all of it was also happening to me in a sense, mm-hmm, and. Yeah. You know, and nobody has ever really come out with that story. The family members of all of the criminals, of all of the yeah. people, they are so shamed and they are so isolated and they never want to be, you know, they just change their name and move on with their yeah. life. They never actually share their story. And the amount of people in gaslighting relationships, the amount mm-hmm. of people with narcissistic like partners that are in these situations, and maybe not this to this extent, but seemingly impossible situations where they end up sharing custody with their abusers and their children's abusers. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's astronomical. Yeah. I can, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can imagine it's not. And yeah, it's a lot of, cause a lot of that is fear based of just like you fear yes. of not being able to, to be around your kids and yeah. not being able to, you know, have that, have your piece together. Yeah. What family you can, you know? Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, I, that I it's, I'm not that person. I it's it was very important to me. And if and if we're you know you'd have the spirituality conversation. It was it was a loud message that I needed to write this book yeah. in 2020. And it took me two years to write it. And that's you know through a pandemic and all the things. And it was not an easy book to write. You relive it in detail uh, when you yeah. write it out like that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But it's also, you know, cathartic and healing, and yeah. and you go through it with new awarenesses, and you go, oh, there's all the red flags that I missed yep. all of that whole time, because there were a ton of red flags, especially early in our relationship that I was 19. I didn't want to see them. Right. <laughs> well, and yeah. well, you and might not even be aware of them at night. Exactly. Or, you know, or you yeah. Exactly. Been, or even, well, and, and you may not, I mean, there's so many things that when you're not looking for them, you know, you don't expect them, you're oblivious to them, you don't know what these these red flags are. Right. And even when, you know, and somebody has to point them out, or you have, you know, clarity and hindsight vision. So, yeah, yeah I mean, you can't blame yourself no. for, no. obviously, and I don't think you are. I no. Think no, I'm not, but it's, you're it's a really good you position. just read it out and you go, oh, okay, yep. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, you but make, you can, you can, go ahead, sorry, mm-hmm. Amanda. I was going to say, you can, when you write them out and you can, and then people can see them and see their own stories in them, you know, mm-hmm. the hope is that they start to go, oh. Yeah. 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 And, 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 and there's a grooming process going on with your relationship too, where yes. it's like the first amount, the first concessions that you make in the beginning of the relationship, you know, like, okay, yeah, this isn't right. But like, 
it can't possibly be what is in the back of my mind, which is like, it could be this crazy thing. It, it won't be that. So it's all good. You know what I mean? And then that gives, exactly. that gives that person license to keep pushing those boundaries. Mm-hmm. I've been there and, uh, and it's just not healthy for people. You know, I always say, if you've got some questions, be very thoughtful, be very slow in your, uh, you know, when you get involved with somebody in a serious relationship, um, take caution. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't, you know, it takes the ability to throw yourself into a, a situation where you are open to uh, being loved and you're also being mm-hmm. open to being rejected. That's what love is, right? But when it's Absolutely. when somebody, that person on the other end of that is manipulative, that is, you can get yourself into some real, real mm-hmm. bad situations. And, and your situation, like you said, is not, it's not unique. It happens all the time. And problem is, is when you have skin in the game, you've got kids now, it's like, you know, it just ups that ante, you know, and, and I get it. Yes. I get that story. It's just, wow. What a story you've got, Amanda. <sighs> Yeah. Yep. That's not the story I was picturing this cute girl on the other side of this computer to tell me. I thought we were going to talk about ghosts and like something. Well, I mean, we can talk about no, that sometime later. Some I'm point, just but. No, it was a great it was a great surprise. It was a great it was a great conversation, really. I appreciate you See, coming yeah. on here, man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, part part of the formula with the show um uh, for people listening at home is that um, I, I'm the one who finds the guest and uh, line things up, and I learn a little bit, a tiny tad bit of information that I try to forget because um, we try to go into these conversations not knowing as much about the story as we can. So Barry hardly ever knows. I'm anything, oblivious. I don't, I, yeah, I don't I, tell I, yeah. him anything, and it's, you know, and that's part of the. Re- that's how one of the we're able to like really react yeah. and everything. And I'd forgotten what it was that we talked about. And so that's whenever you dropped the bombshell, um, it, it, it bombshelled it Barry so hard. He had to go and leave. <laughs> he did. He lost it shut off my computer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But no, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it takes a lot of guts and moxie to, uh, come on to a, a, a platform and, and share your story. And we appreciate it. It's yes. eye opening. We love. Thank you. I we love it. Yeah, and I, my intention is to go far and wide with this. Absolutely. I, any media outlet that will have me. January is Sex Trafficking Awareness Month. I am intentionally releasing during that. Right. I want. I want as much awareness as possible. I'm not shying away from this at all. Good for you. Good deal. Good deal. Well, we will. We want to hear. Uh, when you're rich and famous, from your being the <laughs> the crime. Uh, uh, not novelist, but the true crime story writer mm-hmm. there. Um, you know, you have to come back and tell us what that life's all like. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. And if people want to find out updates on my book, you can go to the sex traffickers wife.com. And I've gotten so many requests for people to me to let me know when the book is out. And I'm well, I will email you so you can sign up Great. for updates and I will have all that information. There's just a little, little bit blurb about that. Or if any other, anybody else wants to contact me in any way, you can do so there. Great. Do, do you have other places? Do you have, do you have uh, yourself on the, the social medias and everything? I, have, I just started a TikTok channel like a week ago and I've got one video at 60,000 views. So wow. I'm, 
gonna, I'm going to roll with that for a bit. Um, I have another business and as, as all of I've jumped into kind of a healing and coaching business as well. Mm. And so that one I've been doing for the last couple of years, but, uh, the book stuff is really amping up now. That's amazing. That's That's amazing. Good for you. I love people that are willing to take a bad situation and do something, pay it forward. You know, Mm -hmm. that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, we don't we don't go through these situations for nothing. Yeah, that's and, true. Absolutely. You know, my my intention with my book launch is not just to spread awareness, but I also want to raise funding because I'm in the process of also starting a nonprofit because I want to change the game on this legal situation. I want to help people fighting for custody from their abusers and their children's abusers. Good. I want to help them find safety in their bodies and in their emotional situations. Great. And at some point I want to have enough funding that I can help them with the legal fight because my wow, legal yeah. fight was $75,000. Wow. And that's not something most people can do. They yeah. And it wasn't the dollars that fixed it. But if I had not been able to have the fight, mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't be where I am today. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you, Amanda. Wow. Thank you for yes. coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's very, yeah, incredible. Wow. And that's the day I became a man. <laughs> oh, Sorry, Weirdsville, didn't see you there listening to Barry and Mine's conversation. But hey, we'll save that one for another time. But we do want to hear your stories about growing up, all your high school hijinks, all of your childhood rivalries, your sibling rivalries, your revenge on the siblings, all those fun family affairs, all the good times, all the laughter, all the stories you share around the Thanksgiving spread or the holidays meal or the night before where everybody goes out to the bar and gets lit. Seems like that's some kind of tradition. So contact us through our email wywspod at gmail.com You can Instagram Facebook, Twitter and also you call and leave us a message at 513-909-9821 Hey, let's get back to that story. That story is one of the wildest that we've had on and that story i have no doubt they will make some sort of like you know 60 minute story or that's got to become a a a tv a made for tv movie man absolutely dude um oprah channel or lifetime or whatever it is that we're we're uh we're we're pointing at you make that happen um or even you know one of the even a big major company could make that that was an amazing story amanda and um you know she's she's got um the book that she's working on or she's done and she'll get that soon um so we wish her all the luck with that but man Wow, it's just that's an amazing, amazing story. And Amanda is such uh, to to go through that and all the twists and turns. You know, as much as she tried to, you know, stand by him. Um, you know, and at first, especially not wanting to believe anything, and then after she, you know, after he was. Uh, Sentence, you know, his measly what four years of uh, parole or something like that. Yeah, not 
what he he should have gotten so much more but you know living in the same house with him for so long trying to move on with her life you know like dating again and and uh uh you know and with him still lingering like you know a, a, yeah it's a, 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 a dank fart um I don't know, just something evil uh, yeah. lingering, an evil dank fart, an evil fart that was there. Um, I don't know. I'm a, the situation stinks. That's maybe that's where I came from. <laughs> but they're trying to find normalcy in what she admittedly, you know, was like was saying this is weird. You know, we're trying to be, you know, just live with the weirdness or whatever. And of course, you know, it just didn't work because he was just. Um, uh, he was just uh, Office rocker. Ter- a terrible human being. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, just lying and deceitful and just, you know, and anybody who preys upon children, uh, especially his own children, man. I mean. Awful. Uh, yeah, yeah. I won't go fully into my thoughts on that, but they're not good. Um and uh, I think all people can agree on that, that those people need to be, um, you know, locked away at the minimum. Yeah, absolutely. So um, she's a she's a tough cookie, though, man. Absolutely. Totally. What amazing strength of character Amanda has. And, um, you know, what a mom. Uh, yeah. What a what a, a, a woman, a lady, yeah. a fighter, uh, a champion. And, uh, you know, and she's really gotten herself out of that and, um, you know, carried the weight of that world for a long time, but then escaped from it with all with her kids in tow. And, you know, and has, you know, and, you know, been able to avoid having to deal with uh, her ex-husband. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Absolutely. And like she said, there's not many books like this out because folks aren't willing to talk about this kind of stuff and I think that this will be a great mm-hmm. you know opportunity for her to open the door to that kind of stuff so we appreciate her coming on thank you yes. Amanda um, I mean we just can't say enough about how you know how highly we think of you and uh, you know your ability to make decisions to better your family we we, uh, we commend you and uh, we would like to wish you and yours uh, happy holidays Indeed. Speaking of holidays, Barry, and shifting gears as we often do sometimes. Um, <laughs> as we often do sometimes. Often do. I just contradicted myself there, but uh, but uh, next week is our holiday special. Yay! You know what that means, kids. Our insert, friend. Insert yes. Ch- cheering uh, children's sound. <laughs> Um, that's right. Um, Uncle Jeff, our special correspondent, resident Bigfoot expert, and voice of the listener, um, is coming on to read us some Christmas spooky stories. Yeah, it'll so. be fun. It's uh, always a good time to get together with with Hub, and we always have a blast. And this is no different. We mm-hmm. have, uh, had a great time, and uh, looking forward to uh, hanging out with you guys on Christmas. Yes, and um, it's a, uh, well, you know, like often at Christmas parties, some people get a little bit more loose than others, you know, some, you know, get a little bit more 
frisky and a little bit more, uh, you know. <laughs> and uh, so just, you know, also, that's not, not an episode to share with the kitties. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. It's a, gr- it's a grown-up Christmas. <laughs> Spiked eggnog. Party. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did uh, you know eggnog was? Oh, well, I'll leave that till next. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so thanks for listening, Weirdsville, and thanks again, Amanda, for being such a wonderful guest and a, an amazing human being. And um, we we really appreciate it, and we really appreciate you, Weirdsville. We're looking forward to seeing you in the next year. We're you know we still got a couple more episodes to drop for you. But we got some great stuff coming up next year, and whew, 2013 is going to be a good one. We know it, and uh, wait, 2023 is going to be a good one. <laughs> uh, more coffee. Uh, more coffee. Yeah. All right, Weirdsville, we love you. We'll see you next time. Be safe. Be weird. As always, if you have a weird story, we want to hear it. If you have a lot of them, we want to hear them all. We can't do this podcast without your invaluable contributions. Whether it's sharing your stories, listening, rating, and spreading the word about the podcast. Thanks for listening. Till next time, be safe. Be weird. The stories presented on the What's Your Weird Story podcast are, to our knowledge, true experiences that our guests have had. We can't take the time to research all claims made, and besides, it's just not as fun.